Good afternoon and we are almost at the end of this adventure. So we're on chapter 22 today and if you recall from yesterday Lou shot a bullet in the dark and nobody knew whether Timmy had been hurt or whether anybody else had been hurt by this bullet because he couldn't see where he was shooting. So we are now on chapter 22 which is the penultimate chapter because there's only one more left in the whole book and although this one is called the end of the adventure there is another chapter to go <laughs> which we will read tomorrow. So Chapter 22, The End of the Adventure. No, Timmy wasn't hurt. The bullet zipped past his head and struck the wall of the cave. But then Timmy went for Lou's legs. Down went the man with a crash and a yell and the revolver flew out of his hand. Julian heard it slithering across the floor of the cave and he was very thankful. Put on your torch, George, quickly, he yelled. We must see what we're doing. Goodness, here's Pongo now. Well, Tiger Dan gave a yell of fright when the torch flashed on and he saw the chimpanzee making straight for him. He dealt the ape a smashing blow on the face that knocked him down and then turned to run. Lou was trying to keep Timmy off his throat, kicking ex frantically at the excited dog. Dick Dan ran to the tunnel and then stopped in astonishment. Four burly policemen were pushing their way out of the tunnel, led by Dick. One of them carried a revolver in his hand. Dan put up his hands at once. Timmy, come off! commanded George, seeing that there was now no need for the dog's delighted help. Timmy gave her a reproachful glance that said, Aw, but I'm really enjoying myself. Let me eat him all up. Then the dog caught sight of the four policemen and yelped furiously. Yes, more enemies. He would eat the lot. What's all this going on, said the first man, who was an inspector. Get up, you on the floor. Go on, get up. Lou got up with great difficulty. Timmy had nipped him in various places. His hair was over his eyes, his clothes were torn. And he stared at the policeman, his mouth open in the utmost surprise. How had they come here? Then he saw Dick. So, one of you kids slipped out and shut the boards on us, he said savagely. I might have guessed you. Hold your tongue, Lewis Allberg, rapped out the inspector. You can talk when we tell you you can. You'll have quite a lot of talking to do to explain some of the things we've heard about you. Dick, how did you get here so soon? cried Julian, going over to his brother. I didn't expect you for hours. Surely you didn't go all the way to the town and back. No, 
I shot off to the farm, woke up the Mackies, used their telephone and got the police up here double quick in their car, said Dick, grinning. Everyone all right? Where's Anne? And Nobby? Oh, there they are, just coming out of the tunnel upstream, said Julian, and swung his torch around. Dick saw Anne's white, scared face and went over to her. It's all right, he said. The adventure is over, Anne. You can smile again. Anne gave a very watery sort of smile. Pongo took her hand and made little affectionate noises, and that did make her smile a little more. George called Timmy to her, afraid that he might take a last nip at Lou. Lou swung round and stared at her. Then he looked at Dick and Julian. Then at Anne. So there was only one girl, he said. What do you want to tell me there were two boys and two girls for, he said to Nobby. Because there were, answered Nobby. He pointed to George. She's a girl, although she looks like a boy and she's as good as a boy any day. George felt proud. She stared defiantly at Lou. He was now in the grip of a stout policeman and Tiger Dan was being hustled off by two more. I think we'll leave this rather gloomy place, said the inspector, putting away the notebook he had been hastily scribbling in. Quick march! Julian led the way down the tunnel. He pointed out the shelf where the men had stored their things and the inspector collected the few things that were still left. Then on they went, Tiger Dan muttering and growling to himself. Will they go to prison? whispered Anne to Dick. <laughs> you bet, said Dick. That's where they ought to have gone long ago. Their burglaries have been worrying the police for four years. Out of the tunnel and into the cave with gleaming walls. Then down the hole and into the small cave and along the narrow passage to the entrance hole. Stars glittered over the black hole and the children were very thankful to see them. They were tired of being underground. Lou and Dan did not have a very comfortable journey along the tunnels and passages for their guards had a very firm hold of them indeed. Once out in the open... They were handcuffed and put into the large police car that stood a little way down the track. What are you children going to do? asked the big inspector who was now at the wheel of the car. Hadn't you better come down into the town with us after this disturbing adventure? Oh, no thanks, said Julian politely. We're quite used to adventures. We've had plenty, you know. We shall be all right here with Timmy and Pongo. Well... I can't say I'd like a chimpanzee for company myself, said the inspector. We'll be up here in the morning looking round and asking a few questions, which I'm sure you'll be pleased to answer. And many thanks for your help in capturing two dangerous thieves. What about the wagon of goods, asked Dick. Are you going to leave it up here? It's got lots of valuables in it. Oh no, one of my men is driving down, said the inspector, nodding towards a policeman who stood nearby. He'll follow us. He can drive a horse all right. Well, look after yourselves. See you tomorrow. The car started up suddenly. The inspector put her into gear. 
took off the brake and the car slid quietly down the hill, following the winding track. The policeman with the wagon followed slowly, clicking to the horse, which didn't seem at all surprised to have a new driver. Oh, well, that's that, said Julian, thankfully. I must say we were well out of that. Gosh, Dick, I was glad to see you back with those bobbies so quickly. That was a brainwave of yours to telephone from the farm. Dick suddenly yawned. Oh, it must be frightfully late, he said, long past the middle of the night. But I'm so fearfully hungry that I might, must, simply must have something to eat before I fall into my bunk. Got anything, Anne? asked Julian. Anne brightened up at once. I'll see, she said. I can find something, I'm sure. And she did. Of course. <laughs> she opened two tins of sardines and made sandwiches. And she opened two tins of peaches, so they had a very nice meal in the middle of the night. They ate it sitting on the floor of George's caravan. Pongo had as good a meal as anyone, and Timmy crunched at one of his bones. It didn't take them long to go to sleep that night. In fact, they were all so sleepy when they finished their meal that nobody undressed. They clambered into the bunks just as they were and fell asleep at once. Nobby curled up with Pongo and Timmy, as usual, was on George's feet. Peace reigned in the caravans and tonight... No one came to disturb them. All the children slept very late the next morning. They were awakened by a loud knocking on Julian's caravan. He woke up with a jump and yelled out, Yes, who is it? It's us, said a familiar voice, and the door opened. Farmer Mackie and his wife peeped in, looking rather anxious. We wondered what had happened, said the farmer. You rushed out of the farmhouse when you'd used the phone last night and didn't come back. Oh, sorry. I ought to have slipped back and told you, said Dick, sitting up with his hair over his eyes. He pushed it back. But I forgot. The police went down into the hills with us and got the two men. They're well-known burglars. The police got all the goods too. It was a very thrilling night. Thanks most awfully for letting me use the telephone. You are very welcome, said Mrs Mackey. And look, I've brought you some food. She had two baskets stacked with good things. <gasps> Dick felt wide awake and very hungry when he saw them. <gasps> oh, thanks, he said gratefully. You are a good person. Nobby and Pongo suddenly uncurled themselves from their pile of rugs. And Mrs. Mackey gave a squeal. Land sakes, what's that? A monkey? No, an ape, ma'am, said Nobby politely. He won't hurt you. Hi, take your hand out of that basket. Pongo, who had been hoping to find a little titbit unnoticed, covered his face with his hairy paw and looked through his fingers at Mrs. Mackey. Oh, look at that now. He's like a naughty child, said Mrs Mackey, isn't he, Ted? He is that, said the farmer. A oh, strange sort of bedfellow, I must say. 
Well, I must be getting along, said Mrs Mackey, nodding and smiling at George and Anne, who had now come out of their caravan with Timmy to see who the visitors were. You come along to the farm if you want anything. We'll be right pleased to see you. Oh, aren't they nice, said Anne, as the two farm folk went down the cart track. And oh my goodness, what a breakfast we're going to have. Cold bacon, tomatoes, fresh radishes, curly lettuces. Oh, and who wants new honey? Marvellous, said Julian. Come on, let's have it now before we clean up. But Anne made them wash and tidy themselves first. You'll enjoy it much more if you're clean, she said. We all look as black as sweeps. I'll give you five minutes and then you can come to a perfectly wonderful breakfast. All right, Ma, grinned Nobby, and he went off with the others to wash at the spring. Then back they all went to the sunny ledge to feast on the good things kind Mrs Mackey had provided. Now, I'm going to read the very final chapter. Um, and so I'm going to read chapter 23 uh, and then tomorrow we'll start on a new one. OK, so chapter 23 is called Goodbye Nobby, Goodbye Caravanners. Before they finished their breakfast, the inspector came roaring up the track in his powerful police car. There was one sharp eyed policeman with him to take down notes. Hello, hello, said the inspector, eyeing the good things set out on the ledge. You do seem to do yourselves well, I must say. Have some new bread and honey, said Anne, in her best manner. Do, there's plenty. Thanks, said the inspector, and sat down with the children. The other policemen wandered around the caravans, examining everything. The inspector munched away at honey and bread, and the children talked to him, telling them all about their extraordinary adventure. Must have been a most unpleasant shock for those two fellows when they found that your caravan was immediately over the entrance to the place that they hid their stolen goods, said the inspector. Most unpleasant. Have you examined the goods? asked Dick eagerly. Are they very valuable? Priceless, answered the inspector, taking another bit of bread and dabbing it thickly with honey. Quite priceless. Those rogues apparently stole goods they knew to be of great value. Hid them here for a year or two till the hue and cry had died down, then got them out and quietly disposed of them to friends in Holland and Belgium. Tiger Dan used to act, act in circuses in Holland, said Nobby. He often told me about them. He had friends all over Europe, people in the circus line, you know. Yes, it was easy for him to dispose of his goods abroad, said the inspector. He planned to go across to Holland today, you know. Got everything ready with Lou, or to give him his right name, Louis Allberg, and was going to sell most of those things. You just saved them in time. What a bit of luck, said George. They almost got away with it. If Dick hadn't managed to slip out when Pongo was attacking them, we'd still have been prisoners down in the hill and Lou and Dan would have been halfway to Holland. Smart bit of work you children did, said the inspector approvingly, 
and looked longingly at the honey pot. That is fine honey. I must buy some from Mrs. Mackey. Oh, have some more, said Anne, remembering her manners. Do we have another loaf? Well, I will, said the inspector, and took another slice of bread, spreading it with the yellow honey. It looked as if there wouldn't even be enough left for Pongo to lick the, the jar. Anne thought it was nice to see a grown-up enjoying bread and honey as much as children did. You know, that fellow Lou did some very remarkable burglaries, said the inspector. Once he got across from the third floor of one house to the third floor of another across the street. And nobody knows how. Oh, that would be easy for Lou, said Nobby, suddenly losing his fear of the big inspector. He'd just throw a wire rope across, lasso something with the end of it, top of a gutter pipe perhaps, draw tight and walk across. He's wonderful on the tightrope. There ain't nothing he can't do on the tightrope. Ah, oh, yes, that's probably what he did, said the inspector. Never thought of that. Oh, no, thanks. I really won't have any more, honey. That chimpanzee will eat me if I don't leave him some to lick out of the jar. <laughs> Bongo took away the jar, sat himself down behind one of the caravans and put a large pink tongue into the remains of the honey. When Timmy came running up to see what he had got, Pongo held the jar high above his head and chattered at him. Yarra, 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 he said. Timmy looked rather surprised and went back to George. She was listening with great interest to what the inspector had to tell them about the underground caves. They're very old, he said. The entrance to them used to be some way down the hill, but there was a landslide and it was blocked up. Nobody bothered to unblock it because the caves were not particularly interesting. Oh, but they are, said Anne, especially the ones with the sparkling walls. Well, I imagine that quite by accident, one day, Dan and Lou found another way in, said the inspector. The way you, the way you know, a hole going down into the hill. They must have thought, what a fine hiding place it would make for any stolen goods. Perfectly safe, perfectly dry. And so near the camping place here each year. What could be better? And I suppose they would have gone on burgling for years and hiding the stuff if we hadn't just happened to put our caravan over the very spot, said Julian. What a bit of bad luck for them. Ha! <laughs> and what a bit of good luck for us said the inspector. We did suspect those two, you know, and once or twice we raided the circus to try and find the goods. But they must always have got warning of our coming and got them away in time up here. Have you been down to the camp, mister? asked Nobby suddenly. The inspector nodded. Oh, yes, we've been down there already this morning, seen everyone and questioned them. We created quite a stir. Nobby looked gloomy. What's the matter, Nobby? said Anne. Oh, shan't half cop it when I get back to the camp, said Nobby. They'll say it's all my fault the coppers go in there. We don't like the bobbies round the camp. I shall get into a whole lot of trouble when I go back. I don't want to go back. Nobody said anything. But they did all wonder what would happen to poor Nobby now his Uncle Dan 
was in prison. Then Anne asked him, Who will you live with now in the camp, Nobby? Oh, someone will take me in and work me hard, said Nobby. I wouldn't mind if I could be with the horses, but Rossi won't let me. I know that. If I could be with the horses, I'd be happy. I love them and they understand me all right. How old are you, Nobby? asked the inspector, joining in the talk. Oughtn't you to be going to school? Never been in my life, mister, said Nobby. I'm just over 14, so I reckon I never will go now. He grinned. He didn't look 14. He looked more like 12 by his size. Then he looked solemn again. Mm, reckon I won't go down to the camp today, he said. I'll be proper set on them by them all. <sighs> About you going there and snooping round like. And Mr Giorgio, he won't like losing his best clown and best acrobat. You can stay with us as long as you like, said Julian. We'll be here a bit longer anyway. But about that, he was wrong. Just after the inspector had left, taking his policeman with him, Mrs Mackey came hurrying up to them with a little orange envelope in her hand. The messenger boy's just been up, she said. He was looking for you. He left this telegram for you. I hope it's not bad news. Julian tore the envelope open and read the telegram out loud. Amazed to get your letter about the extraordinary happenings you describe. They sound dangerous. Come home at once, Daddy. Oh dear, said Anne. Now we shall have to leave. Oh, what a pity. I'd better go down to the town and telephone Daddy and tell him we're all right, said Julian. You can phone from my house, said Mrs Mackey, so Julian thought he would. They talked as they went along and suddenly a bright idea struck Julian. I say, I suppose Farmer Mackey doesn't want anyone to help him with his horses, does he? He asked. He wouldn't want a boy who really loves and understands them and would work hard and well. Well, now I dare say he would, said Mrs Mackey. He's a bit short-handed now. He was saying the other day he could do with a good lad just leaving school. Oh, do you think he'd try our friend Nobby from the circus camp, said Julian. He's mad on horses. He can do anything with them. And he's been used to working very hard. I'm sure he'd do well. Before Julian had left the farmhouse after telephoning to his amazed parents, he'd had a long talk with Farmer Mackey and now he was running back with the good news to the caravans. Nobby, he shouted as he got near. Nobby, how would you like to go and work for Farmer Mackey and help with the horses? He says you can start tomorrow if you like and live at the farm. Jump in, Jiminy, said Nobby, looking startled and disbelieving. At the farm? Work with the horses? Oh, coo, I wouldn't half like that. But Farmer Mackey wouldn't have the likes of me. He will. He says he'll try you, said Julian. We've got to start back home tomorrow and you can be with us till then. You won't need to go back to the camp at all. Well, but what about Growler, said Nobby. I'd have to have him with me. He's my dog. I expect poor old Barker's dead. Would the farmer mind me having a dog? I shouldn't think so, said Julian. 
Well, you'll have to go down to the camp, I suppose, to collect your few things and to get Growler. Better go now, Nobby, and then you'll have the rest of the day with us. Nobby went off, his face shining with delight. Well, I never, he kept saying to himself, well, I never did. Dan and Lou gone, so they'll never hurt me again. And me not going to live in the camp anymore. And going to have charge of them fine farm horses. Oh, well, I never. The children said goodbye to Pongo because he had to go back with Nobby to the camp. He belonged to Mr Giorgio and Nobby could not possibly keep him. Anyway, it was certain that even if he could have kept him, Mrs Mackey wouldn't have let him live at the farm. Pongo shook hands gravely with each one of them, even with Timmy. He seemed to know it was goodbye. The children were really sorry to see the comical chimp go. He had shared in their adventure with them and seemed much more like a human being than an animal. When he had gone down the hill a little way, he ran back to Anne and put his arms around her and gave her a gentle squeeze as if to say, You're all nice, the lot of you, but little Anne's the nicest. Oh, Pongo, you're really a dear, said Anne and gave him a tomato. He ran off with it, leaping high for joy. The children cleared up everything, put the breakfast things away and cleaned the caravan as ready for starting off the next day. At dinner time, they looked out for Nobby. Surely he should be back soon. They heard him whistling as he came up the track. He carried a bundle on his back. Around his feet ran two dogs. Two? Why, one of them is Barker, shouted George in delight. He must have got better. Oh, how marvellous. Nobby came up grinning. They all crowded round him asking about Barker. Yes, it's great, isn't it, said Nobby, putting down his bundle of belongings. Lucilla dosed him all right. He almost died. And then he started to wriggle a bit, she said. And the next she knew, he was as lively as could be. Bit weak on his legs at first, but he's fine this morning. Certainly there didn't seem anything wrong with Barker. He and Growler sniffed around Timmy, their tails wagging fast. Timmy start, stood towering above them, but his tail wagged too, so Barker and Growler knew he was friendly. I was lucky, said Nobby. I only spoke to Lucilla and Larry. Mr Giorgio has gone off to answer some questions at the police station, and so have some of the others. So I just told Larry to tell Mr Giorgio I was leaving, and I got my things and opted. Well, now we can really enjoy our last day, said Julian. Everybody's happy. And they did enjoy that last day. They went down to the lake and bathed. They had a fine farmhouse tea at Mrs Mackey's by special invitation. They had a picnic supper on the rocky ledge and the three dogs rolling over and over in play. Nobby felt sad to think that he would so soon say goodbye to his posh friends, but he couldn't help feeling proud and pleased to have a fine job of his own on the farm with the horses that he loved so much. Nobby, Barker, Growler, Farmer Mackey and his wife 
all stood on the cart track to wave goodbye to the two caravans the next morning. Goodbye, yelled Nobby. Good luck. See you again sometime. Goodbye, shouted the others. Give our love to Pongo when you see him. Woof, woof, barked Timmy, but only Barker and Growler knew what that meant. It meant shake paws with Pongo for me. Well, goodbye, five caravanners. Until your next exciting adventure. Ooh. And um, I will tell you that I am going to read another, the next um, Famous Five book. And it's called Five on Kieran Island again. So that's what we've got uh, to look forward to tomorrow. Um, but I hope you enjoyed the last two chapters of this one. Um, I love reading these books. You cannot imagine how much I love reading these books. Um, but anyway, um, as I say, I hope you enjoyed them. And tomorrow we look forward to a new one. <laughs> anyway, until then, have an amazing day. Absolutely awesome day. And don't forget to take care and stay safe. I'll see you all again tomorrow. Bye for now.